Hello and welcome to the midweek edition of the Manchester is Red podcast. My name is Stephen Rilston and I'm filling in again for Rich Fay, who is again off and I'm alongside Tyrone Marshall uh, for today's episode. Tyrone, how are you? I'm uh, very good. Thank you, Stephen. Very good. Looking forward to hearing about your trip to, to Krakow at the weekend. Having been there several times myself, including on a four-day stag do once, I, uh, I, know what it can, I know what it can do to you, so I can understand why your voice is... Uh, a bit croaky. I'm also gutted Richie's off, to be honest. I presume he's uh, surrounded by buckets of his own tears at the moment after Rexham's pathetic collapse at Blackburn Rovers last night. I was uh, absolutely delighted to see that, the undoubted highlight of, of the FA Cup fourth round weekend for me. But just for the sake of balance, what was the Shrewsbury Wrexham score the other week? Uh, oh, can you not, can you not remember that conveniently no, I can't remember yeah, okay, can't fair remember. enough fair enough uh, Krakow was, a, it was really good but you can tell by my voice it's a bit hoarse um, we did actually get approached by someone in the bar and he said are you lads on a stag do I was a bit insulted because I don't think we're quite at that age yet um, so I went no we're just having a, a cultured weekend uh, we did the touristy bits we obviously had a few beers as well and it's all part of the fun it's quite cheap across there isn't it as you'll know yourself um, so plenty of alcohol was had um, I'm just recovering, Ty, even though it's a, a Tuesday afternoon as we record this podcast. Anyways, today's episode, we're going to get into a few transfer bits as usual. You're going to provide a bit of colour, apparently, uh, to the Newport County trip at the weekend. And in the second part, we're going to look at all, all of Sir Alex Ferguson's, sorry, all of the posts Sir Alex Ferguson signings, um, the 60 of them. Yeah, I mean, that's that's quite a task, isn't it? So we'll see how we get on with that. But we'll, uh, we'll explain what we're going to do in the second part a bit more. Uh, in this podcast so to begin with Ty you made the trip to Wales on Sunday afternoon for the FA Cup the magic of the FA Cup was all well intact it looked like it was going to be a really straightforward task for United but it was actually a, quite an entertaining game in the end wasn't it um, what was the experience like you got any uh, anecdotes or stories from the trip yeah it was you know it was something I was going to say something different but I went with City in 2019 so it wasn't it wasn't that different to be honest it hadn't changed an awful lot apart from I think they put a temporary stand behind one of the goals as well. I mean, it was good. It wasn't as good as Krakow, I think it's fair to say. Um, but it was, you know, it was it was something different. It was pretty relaxed. Um, you, you know, you walk in and we could just walk around the whole stadium, basically walked around the perimeter of the pitch. But the, we had been pre-warned about the press facilities. And obviously I knew with, with going with City that we didn't get a press seat in the actual press box four years ago. So there was little chance of getting one with, with United, given, I guess, United always kind of attracts a, a few more, a few more people. So there was the the extra press seats were basically just seats within the stand. I mean, I was like maybe twenty seats away from the actual press box um, with with laptop on knee. So it was one of those where you dared open your laptop until a few minutes before kickoff, really. And then obviously you're surrounded by fans who were jumping up every couple of minutes when you've got your laptop on your knees. So it's um authentic i guess would be would be the best way to to describe it did, um, did your battery last that long then ty so when did because the batteries on our laptops when you have the brightness quite high they are quite poor and whenever you're at a game you do need a bit of charge you do yeah so i made sure it was fully charged as i think everyone had and it it did last it was getting pretty dicey towards the end and when the game was stopped briefly for a medical emergency which was of course the priority and without wishing to, to make light of it. it. It was one of those where the game stopped for a medical emergency and, and I was thinking this is, you know, I think a lot of people were thinking this isn't great news for, for batteries here that, which are running out, but thankfully it was sorted um, fairly quickly and the game could continue, but that was a slightly dicey moment um, for, for our laptops. So yeah, it just about lasted. Um, the, the Wi-Fi fell apart, um, unsurprisingly. You know, they're, they're probably used to, to Radio Wales um, you know, commentating from there and a couple of locals, I guess. So the Wi-Fi didn't uh, didn't survive. So we had we had some help with production in the office, which probably saved a bit of battery life as well, saving us having to drag pictures in and all that kind of stuff that you know from games. The 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 tedious part that means you end up inevitably missing a goal or a red card or some kind of vital moment where you're trying to find a picture of Rasmus Hoyland or or something like that. So so yeah, we we had some help in that regard, and then. Um, I mean, post post match, I attempted to do the mix zone, of which there wasn't one really. But well, I was just about to say, was there actually access? And I presume, no. press conference wise, with Denaga, I've been out the loop. I've not seen any thoughts. Yeah, there was a press conference. It was in the same room as the city one, actually, basically the opposite side of the ground in one of the the suites, the education suite there. So, um, Tenag went and did that, and Samuel went and did that, and I just saw the the transcript afterwards, which made for entertaining reading, given. 
the the depth of the grilling he got on um, on Marcus Rashford. So that was uh, that something's was gone on with Marcus Rashford, has there? Not so. Anymore. Yeah, I don't know if you, I don't know if you've heard while you've while you've been away. <laughs> he's he's been. I was going to say he's been doing similar things, similar things to you, I think, last week. Yeah, I think so. I think so. Maybe not quite as, as much booze, to be fair. Um, yeah, he's had a, a, a similar approach. So yeah, I attempted to do the mix zone, of which there wasn't one, but one of the United Press officers said you're welcome to hang around by the TV crews and try and get anyone. But MUTV managed to find, they managed to find three players through MUTV, but none of them would speak to the written press, which is another damning indictment against United this season. I, I mention it all the time on here, and I'm sure, you know, I'm sure plenty of fans thinking Crimea River to, to, to us journalists to get in for free and have a great experience. But the inability of players to speak to us this season is just a constant, a constant issue. And I think, you know, it, it's borderline pathetic, to be honest. They've won, they've won, twice, won twice and drawn once this season. Not a single player has stopped. United have failed to put a single player up. I can't recall, after a defeat this season, I can't recall a single player stopping in the mix zone or being put up in the mix zone to talk about it. You know, other teams, other Premier League teams lose games and their players stop and speak. You know, I think it's going to come to Southampton. They lost 9-0 twice within a year and on both occasions, a player stopped and spoke about it. United lose a game and it seems it's beyond this set of players to actually front you up You owe it to the fans, Shirley, to come out and speak and you can convey your message through the written press. Yeah, it, you know, it's, we are a, con- a conduit to the fans in, 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 in a large way, really, especially a paper like the Manchester Evening News who, who often will speak to a player and maybe do, do two stories from it. And also, it's, you know, PR team shouldn't need to explain to them, but it's a chance to control the narrative if a player speaks. The, uh, by, not put, by, not, by not letting a player speak or by failing to put a player up, you're not meaning there's no follow-up stories on Monday. You're meaning people have to find follow-up stories on Monday or do their opinions on Monday or do what does this mean for Ten Hag's future? What's the thoughts in the dressing room for Monday? By putting a player up, you're at least putting a positive spin on it or a view on the dressing room on it. And there's just been none of that this season. I mean, I think I'm pretty sure I could count on what, on two hands the number of times a player has stopped in the mix zone this season. And, you know, United took huge strides in that last season, but it has been Can I guess who those season. players were? Was it, was it Dallow and Fernandez, by any chance? Yeah, Dallow and Fernandez, I think, have both done it. Hoyland did it with out. his brother. Yeah, I think yeah, he did, you're right. Um, and... I mean, Cobby Manu spoke to MUTV after Newport, didn't he? I, I saw that little clip on social media. Yeah. And whenever he talks, yeah. he talks really well. He's an articulate lad. He's actually quite a confident lad. He's still only 18, of course, and United tend to protect the younger players from the media, um, from the written press anyways. But it would be fantastic to have Manu up. He's just scored his first goal for the club at a wonderful Absolutely. moment. Absolutely. Yeah, it would have been great to And there was, to, there was, to was two of him. us there. It's not like, I can understand you want to you protect him, ease him into it, but there was two of us there. It seems like an ideal opportunity in a fairly low-key setting to, to put him up, but uh, you know, apparently not. Fernandez and Bayern did MUTV as well, but they couldn't. Neither neither spoke to us, neither would speak to us. So, you know, it's I, I don't I don't understand it, and I have asked United why why it's going on because, like you say, you you can understand it if they lose to a degree. I, I, I wouldn't expect a player to stop after every defeat. I think it's, it's human nature. You don't want to talk about it, but I think it should happen after some. Um, but when they've won two FA Cup games this month and, and had a draw against Tottenham, which wasn't a disastrous result, the fact that no one's speaking after those, just it, you know, it makes you think, what's going on here? Why, why are players either being stopped from speaking to us or, or not wanting to speak to us? And you know, I, I don't know what the reasons are. I don't know whether they think they've been unfairly criticised at any point, but you know the reality is, it's a team losing half of their games by the end of January. So, some criticism is is kind of understandable. So, yeah, that was um, a frustrating end to the trip. I think it's just it is not a good look for Manchester United to have three players doing their in-house TV channel, but failing to provide any of them to the written media, especially when you know the the two people who were who were there looking to get quotes were two people who had travelled from Manchester for the game. You know that's a a 13-hour day for us, basically, to go and cover United at Newport. And you've just had a positive win. Everything's positive. The background to the club with Ineos is positive at the moment. Yeah, you can't you can't get a player to speak about how positive things are. Yeah, you can get three to do MUTV. It's just, it's it's not a good look. There's no, there's no other way of explaining it beyond that. Well said, and that's it. Let's hope it changes from now until the end of the season, but I probably won't hold my breath, unfortunately, Ty. I think it's fair to say with that. 
Uh, a few transfer bits then. Um, Bless you's loan looks to be back on uh, to Granada ahead of the uh, January transfer deadline day. Um, his kind of future has been related to Amari Forsens, I guess, because he's out of contract at the end of the season. The club were confident of, of tying him down to a new deal. Talks have kind of hit a, a cross point. They've stalled a little bit. Um, and he obviously came on against Newport, didn't he? And I think that's almost felt like Tenag trying to say, look, we can give you opportunities, sign a new deal because we saw him come on against Wigan as well. He was obviously given his debut. And that kind of feels like the manager saying, right, stay and there will be chances, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. And, you know, he's, he's clearly not, not a million miles away, is he? Um, you know, he, he came on ahead of Palestri and Ahmad at the weekend, which, you know... Well, there was a lot of surprise at that. But when you look at it, well, why he's actually done it and the reasons I've just presented before, I think that's, you've got to take it at face value. He's, I wouldn't say he's actually ahead of those players, but it's because of the situation and the context. Yeah, and there's 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 context around those players because, like you say, Palestri looks like he's, he is going to go on loan again now. I mean, I just I don't I don't think he's got a future at Manchester United. He's he's had some bright moments coming off the bench, but he's he's 22 years old. You know, he's if he's not good enough now, he's never going to be good enough, is he? And he's not good enough now. So I think it's it's got to be a loan with a view to selling him in the summer. Ahmad. Excuse me, Ahmad is still someone who you'd like to see given a run or, or get some games at least and some minutes off the bench in the second half of this season. But he's another player that I think I wouldn't be surprised if he was sold this summer. So although United have a lot of wingers, Forson is is within that, you know, he's within that group. And I think like I said, I wouldn't be surprised if Palestri and Ahmad both left the club permanently this summer when suddenly your your options are opening up and your opportunities are opening up for him and you know, he played a lot in pre-season. He's been around it a few times this year. I think he's he's not a million miles away. Um, so I think, you know, I, I don't see why he necessarily wants to go and play. I know he's 19. And I think we've seen with Ten Hag that even if, if, if Forsen signed a new three-year contract, if he does another year and it's not quite working, Ten Hag would, would sell him at 20. We've seen him do it with countless academy graduates over the last two years. So I don't think by staying, he's necessarily having to commit to three years of being stuck in the 23s if that's what we think is going to happen because if that does happen I think that they will just sell him so yeah I, I don't think he's he's far away and I think he's you know with Palestri there's there's nothing there's nothing else to see there now as that we've seen I mean the fact that this will be his third loan says a lot I mean how many times is a player going to go on and progress at Manchester United after going on loan three times it's very unlikely isn't it and the standard of the those spells yeah they're both all the spells have been in La Liga and he's not exactly set the world alight has he uh, across in Spain no, definitely not. You know, with the Alaves, when he did 18 months at Alaves and I think it was 18 entirely forgettable months. He was in and out of the team, out of it as, as much as he was in. You know, looking looking back at that st- that spell here, there was 11, 11 starts in the league and 22 substitute appearances across 18 months. You know, and, and that's with Alaves. I think that shows you where he is. And I know he's in the in the Uruguay team and, and has been in their squad and did, did all right at the World Cup, but I just don't see him ever making the grade at Manchester United, to be quite honest. So, you know, I think that's one player immediately that Fulton is going to jump ahead of in the second half of this season and probably come summer. Last year's very familiar, familiar, should I say, with the bench and Martial's very familiar with the injury table. He's probably spent more time on the treatment table than the pitch over the last few years. Um, it's time at the club's coming to an end. He's obviously out of contract. Tenog said that the club won't sign another striker this window. I mean, I wrote a piece arguing that that should happen and it's probably a matter of urgency because if something was to happen to Rasmus Hoyland, it could be a catastrophic situation really with Martial out for 10 weeks is the uh, rough estimate, but it could be longer, which means he, he might have actually played his last game for the club. Um, so what have you thought about that? Because I guess there is a bit in the background with FFP and this window has been very quiet for a lot of Premier League clubs. It's not just been United and we've seen what's happened with obviously Nottingham Forest, etc. Um, and evident, of course, with, with docking points. So clubs, I guess the hands are tied behind the backs to some extent at the moment in the transfer market. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I, I've mentioned on this podcast a couple of times how how tight it is for United within those those Premier League rules. And, you know, I, I'm still not sure there's, there's fully an understanding within all of the fan base about how how tight those things are. And, if they if they miss out on the Champions League again this year, it is going to be really really close on on profit and sustainability rules next season. There's there's no getting away from that. Well, and you see, if they're type, I mean, it's going to take a miracle for them to get Champions League this season. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, when I mean, we're 
you know, a couple of us did the stories in in December when they got knocked out of the Champions League, trying to get a, a firm handle on it. And it's difficult to do because there's this there's this 110, 105 million pound loss over three years you're allowed to make. Although that is 15 million for United or was because the Glazers have put no money in. It was suggested that it wasn't as simple as, as Jim Radcliffe then putting 90 million in, although he has obviously put that $200 million in. So whether that counts, not really clear. But well, it was for stadium improvements and not particularly the, the first team, wasn't it? Yeah. So where that was. Yeah. Solved. And it's, you know, there's, there's been none of that money spent yet on stadium infrastructure, obviously. So, you know, I, I, I don't think it's necessarily as easy as, as that, as that happening. And it, it was kind of suggested once we tried to crunch the figures that they maybe had about 30 million breathing space in December, of which 25 million was probably taken by going out of Europe. So it, it, things are pretty tight. And I thought, I thought Tenard's comments on Friday about signing a striker were, were pretty telling when he was like, I looked and there is no space. There is no space within FFP. You know, that is, considering last year he managed to sign. Vegorst on loan and Butland on loan and Sabitzer on loan. I mean, they were absolute pound shop loan deals, weren't they? But they found enough space for that. Now they're basically saying, we can't even do that. We can't even bring Boot Vegorst back on loan. There is not, there, there is basically not a penny available here to do anything. And I think that's, that's pretty telling of how, of how tight things really are. And we've seen these. It feels like the needed one though, doesn't it? I mean, if, obviously if, if, if Highland got injured, as I said, Josh Hugel's on loan at Burton. Charlie McNeil's just came back after a disappointing spell with Stevenage. He didn't get a game there. Um, and he's going to play with the under-21s for the remainder of the season. So they've actually got no cover attacking-wise. Marcus Rashford could play there, but he prefers the left and he's out of sorts anyways. I mean, you could be playing Anthony's a number nine, uh, Falls number nine, perhaps if uh, I didn't go Or Ahmad, I think Ahmad. Yeah, it's a good show. Yeah. I think he did it quite a bit at Sunderland. But I mean, the, the reality is they've only got, they've got 17 league games left. and maybe where four in the FA Cup potentially so like 20 21 games maximum left i mean if Hoyland stays fit he could start all of them that's you know that's not they've they've they've, they've shrunk their schedule very impressively this season so you know there's there's not there's not an issue there where you need loads of rotation and i don't think it was intentional but uh, they can have no i don't think it was intentional but it's <laughs> it's kind of it's kind of worked for them and you know you mentioned they do kind of need someone but what what has Martial contributed in the first half of the season that they're going to miss in the second half of the season? I mean, nothing, basically. So I think, you know, I, I, I can say it's a gamble. I mean, it's, it, if there's nothing there, then it's not a gamble. The gamble would be signing a striker and getting yourself docked 10 points next season. So I think, you know, they're, they're probably making the right decision. And obviously it would be incredibly unfortunate now if Hoyland injured himself on, on Thursday night and was to miss three months. That would clearly be disastrous but they will just hope that that doesn't happen and like you say they have got Rashford there to, to fill in if need be even though he doesn't like playing there and, and obviously he has got his own issues to contend with at the moment Lovely little segue Ty I'm not sure if you actually realised I was going to ask you about that next you probably did obviously there's a club statement uh, on Monday night he will be available for Wolves again on Thursday they've said it's the internal matter is closed and Tenog has dealt with it what have you thought about the handling of it I've saw some supporters praise the handling some supporters kind of disagree with it but at the end of the day I guess this is a player who is going to be available for the remainder of the season you do kind of have to move on you do have to handle it. You can't. You can't really rumble on, can it? And I think when when something happens at Manchester United, it's always a huge story. You look across the city at Kyle Walker, Tyrone, and what's been happening with him and his family and the story in the Sun. For some reason, I think Rashford's actually getting more coverage. Um, and it's I know it's a different story, but that's just really interesting how the two different clubs are covered in the media. Yeah, it, it is. But I think you know a, a lot of the Walker stuff is kind of personal issues, isn't it? I mean, when Walker had his own night out issue we say last year when you know he was pictured showing more than he should in a bar that that got a lot of coverage that was a constant question to to city and to and to guardiola so you know that that did get coverage um that was you know that wasn't like he was obviously what he did there was was wrong but it wasn't like he did it the night before the game and then phoned in sick and missed training i mean what rashford's done is is dreadful really i mean it for me or you be if if you've gone out in crack off and missed your flight home and phoned in sick it's, sacked, it's a disciplinary offence. It's borderline it's it's gross misconduct. So yeah. yeah, undoubtedly. So you know, for for Rashford to do it, I mean, I just put in a piece this one time. Simply, it's not what elite footballers do. And if he wants to be an elite footballer, that's not how you behave. Um, 
And that there's no issue with him going to Belfast and seeing Rashawn Williams. And if we'd just gone there, seen an old mate, posed for photos with with those young players at Larne, come home, like, wow, what a great story. Nice going to see his mate in, in Belfast, someone he's kept in touch with from the academy who's had a very different career path to him. Great stuff. But then he stays, goes out seemingly for two nights in Belfast and then phones in sick for training. I mean, it is it is beyond belief, really. And it, nothing he has done this season brings him any kind of leeway from a disciplinary point of view at all. But do you not think it kind of explains, season. this kind of behaviour explains what he's done this season. I mean, we've been scratching our heads on the podcast each week for the first quarter of the, the, the uh, kind of figuring out why Rashford was playing like this, why there was such a drop-off. And it's clearly... I mean, we would suggest there's obviously something probably going on behind the scenes, personal issues. He's obviously not in the best place at the moment because he's acting a bit out of character. I think Gary Neville was on BBC Breakfast this morning and he suggested, if you keep on doing things like this, obviously remember he was out after the Manchester Derby defeat, people are going to start thinking that is your personality and it will become your personality. Well, it is his personality though. Well, yeah, you could argue it, it is now. It, you know, there's, you, you... He's, he's 26, he's not young anymore, he's an experienced player, he knows what he's doing. You know, you, uh, you're going to say he's done a lot of good work off the pitch there, I presume, which he, he has, but the two things can be true. You know, he, he can do a lot of good work off the pitch, but also this this can be his character. And, you know, the, the birthday night out was was ill-advised, I think it's, it's probably fair to say. Um, and, I mean, this was ill-advised, does not even cover this. It was just, you know, sheer, sheer stupidity. At a point as well, when you've had no game for, for two weeks, to, to be doing it the night before, a training session. Well, it was winter the break. There's just been a winter break. If exactly. you're going to do it, if you yeah. want to blow some steam off, do it then. It makes no sense. And he is, you know, he is at times the jewel in the crown of, of that academy. You know, that academy is very close now, one or two players away from the 250th academy player to make their debut for the club. It's going to be a huge thing when it happens. There's going to be a lot of fanfare when it happens. And, and Rashford's name is going to get mentioned as, as one of the great success stories of that academy. But at the moment, he is a dreadful example to the young players coming through that club trying to make it to the first team. There is no getting away from it. And he's looked totally disengaged on the pitch this season. Um, you know, his yeah, forwards are going to miss chances. No one expects you to be perfect there. Um, you know, he's, he's struggled in front of goal this year. That's, and that's fine it's in a way. It's the body language, just demeanor, the body language. Sulking, isn't it, though? Yeah, yeah. and there's certain, there's certain things that can happen to any footballer. That is fine. But there's certain things that are non-negotiable, such as your attitude, your work rate, your professionalism. And those three just aren't there. I just, they're just not there for him. And that, that is a major problem. And, you know, we, we spoke about those profit and sustainability rules a minute ago. I mean, selling academy graduates is, is a golden ticket It was to, in terms of those rules. And United have to be very, very close now to saying enough is enough with Marcus Rashford because... It just its performances just do not warrant the amount of rope he's getting. It's it's absolutely crazy, and I know he's been he's been disciplined for this, and, and was disciplined for missing a team meeting last season. <clears throat> I mean, people will miss team meetings; those things happen. But you know, it's like I say, it's becoming it's becoming a story too often with with the the night out after the derby with this, and he he should be like I say, he should be the the jewel in the crown at that club. He should be the player that. Everyone is putting on a pedestal that people are looking at and young players there are looking at going, I want to be like him and this is what I have to do to get to that level. But it's, 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 not, it's not there, is it? Because young players are looking at it thinking, all oh, right, so I can go out clubbing in Belfast the night before training. It's just, you know, that's not what being an elite footballer is about at the moment. So The club statement said he's, he's taken responsibility. What that actually involves, we're not sure yet. No. The question has been asked, obviously, to the club. They've not confirmed whether that's a fine or another consequence, for example. Um, but he needs to take responsibility himself in his personal life. He's obviously not surrounded by the best people, is he? Obviously, his brother's his agent, but from the reports that have come out and the suggestions of that night in Belfast, it seems like he's not exactly mixing with the best crowd. And being a professional footballer, if you, you've got a lot of money, it's obviously going to go to your head to some extent in the way you live. But you need to remain grounded and you do that by having good people around you, don't you? friends and family and your entourage, et cetera. And I don't think Rashford has that, unfortunately. And that's definitely contributing to the problems. Yeah, hundred percent. And, you know, it's, it, it is, it is difficult. There'll be a lot of people who'll be like, you know, the, the, the privilege and the money he earns 
he's still a human being at the end of the day. There's still a temptation there to go out. You still want to be able to enjoy your life and to celebrate your birthday. And it, it, it is, it is difficult. You know, nobody should play that down. That that it is, as much as the money is great, being in the public eye that much, being in the spotlight that much is is not easy for anyone. So I don't think anyone should play that down. But I would say, if you if you want that career, then you have to live your life differently. There's there's just no other way to it. And if you don't live your life differently, then you might still have a career, but you just won't you won't reach the heights that maybe your talent would have taken you to. And at the moment, I think that's where we are with with Rashford. He's 26, and he had a brilliant season last year. He's having a, a a dreadful season this year. He had a dreadful season the year before last year. So that's two two bad seasons in three years. The season before that, I think was, I think the, maybe the two seasons before that were both pretty good. But at, at 26, well, he has these in and out seasons, doesn't he? Yeah. It's almost a pattern. Has a fantastic yeah, season and drops off a, a decent season. Uh, yeah, reverts the players, again, progresses. The players he will be modelling himself on and believing he's in the same category as are having season after season after season after season where they are playing at the highest level, and and Rashford isn't. And he's, you know, he's at that age now. He turned twenty six in October, where the consistency has to be there. It, it, you know, it just has to be there. And things like this and and off field escapades like this just. They don't help him and they present an image of a player whose head just isn't quite in the right place to be a world-class elite footballer and to make the most of his talents. That's that's just where it feels like he is at the moment. Maybe he'd argue against that, but you know, it, it, it does feel like something has got to change. Either either maybe he needs to move on, maybe it's maybe the, the golfish bowl of United and and be in that academy graduate and that you know, that one that everyone looks at, that that shining example, maybe that's Maybe that's a, a negative for him in a way. You know, maybe maybe he does need to, to cut the umbilical cord and, and move on and, and maybe United do, but at the moment it does feel like it's a, a story of talent that's that's, you know, maybe not entirely wasted because we've seen what he can do last year. He's already had a pretty good career, but you know, talent that's definitely not season after season getting to the level it should do. Yeah, you don't want him to come to the end of his career and look back and have regrets. But at the moment that's the way it's going, unfortunately. Like I say, he's twenty six and he needs to pay it better the bottom line. Uh, we'll leave it there for part one time and we'll be back in a moment for part two. No one covers Manchester United quite like the Manchester Evening News and we have launched our brand new MUFC Pro app. For just £19.99 for an entire year, you can get access to all of our podcasts, our articles and an ad-free experience all at the touch of a button in the palm of your hand. And it gets even better. Until the 1st of February at 11pm, if you sign up, you will pay nothing for six months, giving you full, unprecedented access to everything the app provides, including articles that you can listen to when on the move. Don't miss out. Sign up today and we will see you there. As we mentioned in the intro to this podcast, we're going to rank the all of the signings, 60 signings of the post-Sir Alex Ferguson era. So that, like I said, there is 60 and Ty's has got 60 seconds to name as many as he can. Now, I hope there's not been any cheating before this podcast, Ty. Uh, there might, a little peek at the there list. might have been. There might have been. Uh, well, I appreciate your honesty, say, but I hope you haven't had a deep, what di- we need, deep dive. We needed Samuel on this podcast, really, because he would probably name, I would say, at least 50 of them within the 60 seconds, whereas I think I might struggle to get to 20. When the idea was floated, I did think Samuel would uh, would bang them out pretty quickly. I think if you go through it chronologically, it's probably easier, isn't it? If you go through it seasons, you could probably get the last five or six, and then after that, it probably gets a bit a bit difficult after that. But uh, our producer is going to start the stopwatch time, uh, and I'll let you go at it. Uh, well, let's go with this season. Hoyland, Mount, or 10 Hoyland, Hoyland, Mount, Martinez, Casemiro, Baran, Dallow, Wambasaka, the name of the current team now because it's the easiest way to do it. Uh, Luke Shaw, Fernandez, Ericsson, Malassia, Bayinda, Tom Heaton, uh, Garnacho, I presume would be one. Presume we're counting, counting Garnacho. Uh, Anthony, uh, Palestri, Ahmad. Uh, let's get a few older ones now, shall we? Matter. Schweinsteiger, Schneiderlin, 
uh, Ibrahimovic, Falcao, Di Maria, Depay, Sanchez, Sancho. Uh, on 26. 26. Oh. Uh, Victor Valdez. Uh, time's up. That's an all right. That's a valiant not effort, bad. I'd say. It was an interesting tactic starting by listing the... I thought you were going to go chronologically each season, but you just went through the current squad, yeah? And then realised you're probably near... Yeah, I'm going to miss Harry Maguire out of the current squad and Lindelof. But yeah, I fold, folded under pressure a little bit there. Related with that, Ty, we've been asked to rank the, uh, the, the best five of those and the worst five of those. So would you like to list your best five first? I'll uh, compare them to mine. We'll go into the worst ones after that and we'll, uh, we'll discuss them. Yeah, I mean, the best five is a lot harder than the worst five, isn't it? It'd be, it'd be fair to say. Um, I mean, Fernandez has, has got to be the, the best, I think. So he's, he's definitely on there. And then I went for Shaw. Um, I think Luke Shaw deserves to be on there. Zlatan, I think, has got to be in the top five. Just, just to clarify, is, is this in order for you? Are you listing them in order? Uh, I suppose that's kind of the order so far. One, two, three, yeah. Um, I, I would be open to arguments about the order, but... I think Fernandez, Shaw, and Ibrahimovic are probably the top three. They're my top they're three. Yeah, they're your top three. I went for Lissandro Martinez fourth, and the fifth I did go for Garnacho. Um, and the fifth, the fifth is one I found really, really difficult. Well, I went Garnacho for I mean, my Casemiro fifth as well. Casemiro would have been in there like six months ago, but it's I just yeah, and even even, even Martinez would have been now. in there six months ago for me. But it's been a you know. It's been not, Bruno fault of his own. He's been I injured for a large part of this season. Still. Yeah, I actually put Joao Matter in fourth for mine. Um, I had Luke Shaw third, Ibrahimovic second, and Ganacho fourth, purely because of the fee Ganacho was signed for. I think it was under £500,000, obviously from Atletico Madrid. And I've not saw his full potential yet, but there is so much potential and so much there to work with over the next few years that that could be an absolute bargain, couldn't it, really, in, in this modern market? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it does feel like he's... It's one of those where it doesn't feel like you know, he, he was an academy signing, I guess. So it, it, he kind of feels different to all the other players. But the, the impact he's he's had already, you know, for, for, like I say, was he 400 grand, something like that. I mean, that was worth it for the goal at Everton alone, wasn't it? Everything everything after that has been, and before that, feels like a, a pure bonus. So, yeah, I think, excuse me, if you are including him, he's got to be in there. And I, I can see your arguments with Mata, um, but I think in a different time, he would have... If he'd sang during Ferguson's years, for example, he had some nice moments. He's been a fantastic player. Yeah, you think of Anfield, for example, almost 300 games, over 50 goals, three trophies. Yeah, he was a great survivor, wasn't he? And like you say, that maybe the Anfield contribution alone should get him in the, the top five, given how, how sparse success has been over the last decade. But yeah, I had I had Martinez in there, and it is still fairly early to to judge, I guess. But it does feel like he's he's going to be an important player and I think we've seen we've seen already how badly United have missed him and, and even coming back the last the last couple of games and you know the, the half an hour ahead against Tottenham they improved so much defensively I thought when he came on so so yeah I put him in there but I, I do think that the the best five is is probably the it, it's easier to get in the best five than the worst five isn't it you could do you could probably do worse 25 to be honest well we'll come on to that in a moment but it's interesting that we agree on obviously four of the five Fernandez is both of our top picks. I mean, he has been given a bit of stick this season, who, who kind of hasn't. I think his positional discipline has been brought into light. But when you look at his record, he obviously joined it in 2020 uh, from Sport and Lisbon. He's just been fantastic, hasn't he? Um, you look at his stats, obviously his numbers were better back then. His output's probably reduced in the final third over the last couple of years, but I'd argue he's actually become a, a better all-round player for me. Yeah, I think so. You know, he's, he's the best player in that team. There's, there's no doubt about it. And he's the best, been the best player in that team for four years. Um, he's he's just he's you know, he's a, he's a, a top class player and like I say he does get criticism. I think as much the biggest part of that for me I think is his on pitch demeanor. That is clearly it's it's become sort of a you know, we talk about it so much it's almost a boring thing to talk about now and he's I don't think he's ever going to change that and United are clearly never going to tell him to change that but it does it does great on people. There's no doubt about it. It grates on. You know, great on some United fans. It great on all opposition fans. It was telling at Newport that, you know, within sixty seconds of the game kicking off, the Newport fans were singing, "Bruno, you're a, you know, can fill in, fill in the the gap." Well, he's one there. of those players. If he's on your team, you absolutely love him. 
But if he plays for the opposition, he's going to get a bit of stick. But it is interesting how you said, and it is true, that even some United fans, uh, the patience has started to, to wear a little bit thin because it's just the way he talks to referees. When the, the cards are down, he sometimes rolls around. And he has this tendency when things are going quite bad, he almost runs out of position, doesn't he? He tries too hard. and He, he kind of presses when the team aren't pressing and it leaves it looking a bit dysfunctional in midfield and leaves space open. I think fans have noticed that as well. Yeah, definitely. I think it, it is when things are going wrong that he's, you know, he's, he's not, He's not a great captain yet in those moments. He overcompensates. He tries too hard. And a big part of that is his, his sheer desire and his will to win, which is, is great to have in a way. But like we say, he he overdoes it at times. I, I don't want to go back to the 7-0 at Anfield, but his, his second half was a disgrace in, in that game. There's no, there's no getting away from it. And, you know, he is, he is still a bit too over the top with, with referees. I mean, the amount of bookings he's got for dissent this season is incredible. And, it's just it's just not going to help your cause, I don't think. And like you say, when when you're winning and when things are going well, you probably love it. But when you lose, and when you're not in a losing and fantasy, and that, I think there's there's probably a view that that's not the best way to be going about things. But I do think that is just his character, and he's doing it because he's so frustrated that things are going against him. So it's hard to be too critical because at least it shows how much he cares. And you know that's. That really is is the only major gripe. I mean, his contribution on the pitch since he's been at the club is is phenomenal. And in a decade where virtually nobody has lived up to their price tag, he has, you know, he has succeeded that and then some um, without without a shadow of a doubt. Yeah, I completely agree. We've got Luke Shaw as well. We both had him um, signed in twenty fourteen. Double leg break the year after. Obviously, a fallout with Mourinho. He said a lot of uh, interesting things about him. Didn't get along with Luke Shaw uh, very much. I don't think Mourinho. And he's almost he's had a renaissance since then. I think his character has been unbelievable. He's shown great resilience to come back from that injury, to battle through that with, with Mourinho, and then to become wow, the season before the Euros. It sounds like an exaggeration, but for me, he was the best left back in the world at that point. And when I've said that a few times, people kind of raise their eyebrows. But when you look at the competition in that position that season, he generally was. Yeah, are you saying Dan Burns ahead of him now, Stephen? Is that why he's not the left back? Left back in the world. Don't mention his name around me. <laughs> um, yeah, you know he's he's been a, a great signing, and he's the great thing about Shaw is is that he has had some difficulties. You know, we spoke about Fernandez there. It's been plain sailing, really, for Fernandez. He, he was brilliant from the moment he came in, and has remained either very good or brilliant since. Shaw has had some really difficult times. You mentioned under Mourinho. There's been the injuries, he's been in and out of the team at times, but he's shown so much character over the years to keep going and keep fighting. And You're in danger of sounding like Brendan Rodgers there, by the <laughs> way. <laughs> well, I've actually got a couple of envelopes just here. Um, yeah, he's, you know, he's it, the character he's shown, I think, has been brilliant. A bit of a cliche, a bit of a Rodgers cliche, but uh, to keep going at a club where it's, it's pretty hard to do that, as we've just been, been speaking about, is... It's fantastic. Yeah, and I'm with you. That season and even in the Euros, he was he was world class then. Um he, he struggled a bit the following season as everyone did, but I think under Ten Hag he's been he's been superb again. And I think, you know, even having him back is is gonna be is gonna be massive now. There's no doubt. He's he's up there as he's one of the best left backs in the league at, at the very least. You know, I think he's in he's in the And then his transition to Playing at centre back was one of the stories of last season. If we're being honest, I mean, we didn't expect it, and it was it was flawless, really. When he came into that, it was around Christmas, wasn't it? And he kicked on, and he was ahead of Maguire in the latter stage of the campaign, around spring as well. And he kept being selected, and he just kept on delivering. He was fantastic. Um, he's technically a very, very good player, and that's why he can kind of adapt to that role, isn't he? Um, Ibrahimovic as well, fantastic first season. His, his second season was a bit disappointing, wasn't it? But came to the club and he was asked to score goals and he did he scored an abundance of them I had my doubts whether he could do it in the Premier League but he made mockery of those yeah he did you know he was a, a, a fantastic free free signing really I think it was like you said there was probably doubts when he arrived but his impact was, was huge I think 20, 28 goals something like that is his first season a great contribution and just <coughs> excuse me a, you know just a larger than life character as well he, he had an impact on you know, clearly not nowhere near to the extent of Cantona, but he's kind of in that bracket, isn't he? As someone that comes in and people follow. And he was a, a Manchester United player for and through, wasn't he? The kind of personality, the air of confidence about it. I just love that about him. Yeah, he had that that strut and that confidence, but he delivered on it. You know, the last decade has been a lot of United players who come to play for United and decide I'm at United now. I've made it. I can have that strut of confidence. 
and have just offered and contributed nothing. Ibrahimovic had that, but delivered as well with the goals he scored, with his general performances, with his demeanour. He was a, you know, a, a, an opportunistic and, and really good signing. I think he contributed well with, with the goals he scored, and also off the pitch with kind of that 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 attitude. And he was, he's a great player. He's a great character, but he clearly does things the right way as well. You know, he clearly. As, as much as like some of his quotes you read in the bit corny and things like that, he lives the right way. And the fact that he was still playing in Serie A when he was 40, 41 is, is evidence of that, that he is, you know, he is a good example of someone who gets the most out of his talent and lives his life the right way. You're 43 now. And when you play at five, hey. side, your back's very sore in the morning, isn't it? Carrying you, Ibrahimovic for still performing in Syria, and so we obviously won the title with AC Milan as well, which is fantastic to see. Right, come on then. Uh, the worst five signings. This will be interesting. I imagine. Do you know what? I think we could probably have the same five again. So I'll, I'll let you go first. List your five, and then I'll see how mine measure. Uh, I've gone for Sanchez, Di Maria, Depay, Sancho, and Pogba. I reckon you've got at least three or four. Of them I'm, I'm, sur- of them. I'm very surprised you've not included Anthony on that. Yeah, I I was tempted to. I think he'd probably be number six. Um, purely because he got a goal and assist at the weekend. So I thought maybe, you know, maybe I... Was, it, was that in chronological order our, our, our podcast producers just asked? That was in no... You can, you can leave that out for a second because I'll list mine and this is in no particular order as well. But I went for Anthony, Sanchez, Di Maria, Schweinsteiger and Sancho. Um, which is, is that a bit harsh on Sancho, I thought? Yeah, I mean, Sancho's, Sancho's the one where, like I said, I didn't really include Anthony because he's still at the club. And like I say, he got a goal and assist at the weekend, albeit, you know, against the season, uh, against the lead to opposition you caught yeah. toward there was a lot relegation places. A lot yeah. of social media wags suggesting he had found his level, um, which is probably a little bit harsh. But um, so yeah, I, you know, it'd probably be number six on my list. I think he, he wasn't far off being included. Sancho, I think for the way it's turned out so far, you've—I just felt he had to be on there. There's, like I say, it's there's still a slim chance that he comes back and things turn around. But for the, you know, for the fee they paid and the excitement that signing generated, I think it has to be in in the bottom five just for contribution on the pitch and the fact that they spent seventy-three million pounds to sign to solve their right wing problems, and then he said, "I want to play on the left," and you know that's not fair to pin that on Sancho. I mean, you know, you should really know what position a £73 million player wants to play. When you look at his goal-to-minute ratio, it was actually better on the left than it was on the right. It didn't take a genius to work that out. Exactly. So, you know, he's. I think I'd have him as number four, maybe. Um, assuming we say number one is the, the worst. But I mean, I, I can understand why you've not included Anthony in the sense that he's still in the, the club. He can maybe make his sixth position. But if you're going on the logic of value for money and the fee that was invested... £86 million pounds tie and I mean one goal one assist this season and both against Newport at the weekend we could have came on this podcast and it could have been uh, he still hasn't scored he still hasn't assisted I mean it was a tapping wasn't it really hit off the post ricocheted out hopefully hopefully he'll, he'll kind of use that as a springboard and he can progress but I mean I won't hold my breath and it, he already feels like he's been written off to be honest yeah uh, I am pretty much with you really I mean I think I do think that unless things improve he will end up as the worst signing in United's history, to be honest. If you know, if this is his standard and this is all he can deliver, he will be the worst signing in United's history for the fee they paid and the fact that they, you know, they could have had him for 25, 30 million pounds cheaper six weeks earlier and and didn't go through with it. And said, you know, they they said in July of that year, you know, I actually want 60 million, it's too much, and then paid 85 million. So yeah, there there is a very real danger that he isn't just on that list. Of, of worst post Fergie signings, it you know we're we're in worst ever category with Anthony. But you know the reason I didn't put it on put him in there is because there there might be more to come, and you just you never know. I've, I I don't hold out much hope, but I think he's got more of a chance than Sancho of prolonging his United career. You know I, I I don't think Sancho will be at the club next season. I think Anthony probably will. Um, so that gives him a chance to. For something to finally click, to finally start delivering some port performances, so you know he's 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 heading, he's trending towards that list. There's, there's no doubt about it for me. But it's just the fact that he might still have another 50, 60 games to, to prove himself. You know, if the, if those games deliver two goals and three assists, then we will we will definitely have our answer. I think it's fair to say. 
seems like the wing is just a problem position for United when you actually look at the players they've signed, doesn't it? I mean, it's not just been over the last few years, it's been like I say over the last 13 or 10. Um, I mean, Ange- Di Maria, terrible. Uh, Alexis Sanchez, I mean, probably best remembered for playing that piano, wasn't he, on the unveiling video, then his actual performances on the pitch. Um, and then Sancho, Anthony, of course, we've mentioned them. I mean, Sanchez was really disappointing, wasn't he? The form he had at Arsenal was just outstanding and there was so much excitement around his uh, his transfer. But he just underwhelmed. He was just dreadful. Yeah, he was he was atrocious. I think, you know, he's he's the the number one for me. Um it's just a, a total, total disaster. And like you say, so much. Well, why is it I mean, to be fair, I was gonna say why is it why does it happen at United? But we, we made the point that it, it's not just United. It, it sometimes feels that way, but there is a lot of clubs who pay a lot of money for these top players and it just doesn't work out. Yeah. And I I you know, I think there was a sense with Sanchez that maybe that the first half of that season at Arsenal hadn't gone well and that maybe there was a drop-off coming into his game. Maybe United didn't didn't read the tea leaves with that, but the, the drop-off was still astonishing given City, you know, City had not long before been pushing for his signing. Um, but, it, you know, it is just hard to know because a lot of these are good players. You know, Di Maria's on that list. Di Maria's had a, you know, a really good career apart from at United, really, you'd have to say. He's, you know, he's 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 not, well, I was going to say, he's, He's probably not world class. He's had a fantastic career. He's had a great career, yeah. There's no doubt about it. He's had a great career, but it was disastrous at United. Yeah, he started really well, actually. He was, you know, you remember that that chip against Leicester in that that 5-3 defeat, I think it was, was brilliant. Started really well. Obviously, he he really struggled to settle in Manchester, having his house I was just about to say, I think that the, the personal problems definitely come into it with Dean Reyes and his wife hated living in Manchester. Some famous quotes about what she said and some really not some nice things about the city yeah yeah exactly and he you know he really struggled to sell and I think you know he, he was one of the had his house broken into which is a you know it's clearly a major problem for a lot of footballers that, that live in that that sort of footballer belt in, in Cheshire so and that that did unsettle him but you know it never really happened and he was you know I mean he's been absolutely hammered since he's the, in the times he's come back to Old Trafford I remember Ashley Young wiping him out in the, the first leg of the PSG quarter around uh, the 16 tie a few years ago and the cheers that got I mean Di Maria has been has been slaughtered on the occasions he's, he's played United since but like we say everywhere else he's been his career has been been pretty good really I mean he was still playing for Argentina last year in their their World Cup winning team so there's clearly a decent player there and, and a lot of this as well is like the, the curse of the number seven in a way I mean I've got Depay on there so I can't remember if you had Depay on there or not but you know he's another who Came with high expectations and was just absolutely dreadful. Really, it probably came to United too soon. Has since gone on to do, you know, not good a career as Di Maria, but he's been all right. He's had spells where he's been been really good. He was he was great for Leon for a very long time, um, but but probably came to United too soon and was just so far short of, of what you want from a United player, and especially a United number seven. You ever mentioned the Swenstager as well? I mean. He gets quite a few mentions on this podcast, actually, because of when Casemiro first arrived. What was his debut against that, Casemiro? Uh, Real Sociedad. I'm only, I'm only, I mean, there you go. Yeah. Because I remember, I mean, you and Samuel have told this story countless times. The chatter in the press box was, oh, here we go. Swinesteiger. Swinesteiger. Yeah. He was off the pace. He looked sluggish. Did not look the same player. He obviously went on to have a fantastic season, but those signs of decline have definitely creeped in yeah. this time around. And we've made the joke that it's probably going to be a phone call from Saudi Arabia if he doesn't improve. Um, but Schweinsteiger was was a, a classic case of that, wasn't he? He came across with a big reputation and, and didn't deliver, unfortunately. Yeah, definitely. And like, he didn't make my top five, but he'd be top eight, probably. Surely um, they didn't make top five. Cause the, I don't think it cost them that much money. But you know, there was there was no sense there of, that was one where United were slapping themselves on the back for signing a midfielder for Bayern Munich and what a great piece of business they've done. No one ever in that club at that time said, why? Why are Bayern Munich selling one of their all-time greats to us for not a lot of money? Like, why is this happening? Instead, they're like, what deal we have got here? We have we have absolutely got one over on Bayern. When in reality, Bayern are like, <laughs> wait till he trains, lads. He's finished. Um, so, yeah, that was... You know, that was typical of, of United at that time, really. Like I say, he didn't quite make my top five list, but you know, he's definitely up there. Uh, but another one who kind of like Sancho in a way, but the, the excitement when they signed Schweinsteiger because of the name and what he'd done in German football was was pretty big. But 
like I say, they just had the wall pulled over their eyes, really. Do you know what I think's really bizarre is he's he's got a huge affection for United, actually. Yeah, it seems. Yeah. I mean, yeah, since he's whenever it's Derby Day, there's always the Manchester Derby. He's always tweeting about United, and uh, he seems to kind of have a connection with the club. Yeah, he does. Um, yeah, it is quite strange. He has, he, he, like I say, he does tweet about them. I think he's on stuff the official website since then. So there does seem to be an affinity from him there, even though it it, it went badly. Seb, the producer there, then the first ever German player. You know, not the not the success you want for your first ever German player, but you know, it did not. I think players do actually well. take pride in that, though, don't they? I mean, you heard Bain there. Yeah, he's he's made that point a few times. He's obviously the first Turkish player to represent the club, and obviously very in success over the last decade but United are still the biggest club in England and some consider them as the biggest club in the world and uh, for players to have that on their, their CV is still a huge thing definitely definitely yeah yeah yeah. it does to, to play for United is still like say a big thing even for someone like Bastian Schweinsteiger who had the career he had at, at Bayern Munich to have got to United is played for them is probably a big thing even though it didn't go the, the way he wanted I mean the midfielder I had on my list I had, did you have Pogba in I can't remember if you had Pogba on your list though. didn't have Pogba in just, I mean, we kind of explained on that. I think we did last week, didn't we? The, a week and a half ago, we discussed him a little bit. Of the five on my list, he is undoubtedly the best player on that list and did the most for United. You know, he, he did far more than Sanchez, Di Maria, Sancho and Depay at the club. It's just the fact of, you know, letting him go for free twice and signing him for £89 million. I mean, the... And he could have done so much more. Which is so much untapped potential. Just never happened for him. And to, to lose him on a free twice is just, you know, feels feels disastrous. And in a way, it feels like it sums the last 10 years of recruitment up. What are you doing in 10 years' time, Ty? Uh, should we do this podcast Probably again? This and, podcast, uh, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> in purgatory yeah. with me for the rest of your life. <laughs> Maybe Newcastle will be winning the Champions League by then. We've waffled on for 52 minutes. I'm not sure we've managed that because we didn't have much to talk about today. Um, but thank you, Ty. I've enjoyed your company as always. That's quite a uh, quite a ride, Stephen. I hope your uh, your hangover is beginning to clear. Uh, well, I've just had uh, five painkillers in the Barocca before coming on, so hopefully <laughs> we'll start to uh, disappear <laughs> in a few hours. Uh, I wouldn't know if Rashford felt like that on Friday morning when he phoned in ill for training. Uh, thanks to listeners as usual. Check out the podcast on all the social channels, etc., on YouTube, and have a great week. Take care.